Are we there yet? Are we there yet has got to be the classic, quintessential, annoying question that every kid asks and every adult is only allowed to think. And it's been at least my experience that this is a pretty universal question. I never ever have had to sit down with my four-year-old son as we're about to take off on some long road trip and say, all right, son, listen, this is a long trip. We're gonna be going miles and hours and miles and hours, and I need you to check in with me from time to time because I might miss the destination that we're headed towards. You're gonna to need to ask me again and again and again if we're there yet. I never had to do that. <laughs> it just comes intuitively to him. It is hardwired in his soul and in ours that we wonder, are we there yet? But have you ever noticed that we never seem to ask this question when we're um, you know, on our way to say, oh, high school in the middle of February, or to the dentist to get a root canal, Nobody's asking in the back seat, Dad, are we there yet? Can we, can we hurry this up? I mean, I'm, I don't want to be late. No, of course not, right? Why? Well, because something drives us to ask the question, are we there yet? And what drives us is the question of destination. The destination is what makes the trip worthwhile. It's what makes it worth the effort. And if it's a lousy destination, well, then who cares when we get there, right? Who cares? And oftentimes on those kinds of trips, which I wonder who's been on one of those before, uh, we get more excited about the journey than about the destination, right? We get more excited about the trip there than where there is. Depending on how badly you and I want to get to wherever there is, determines a lot. It determines uh, our level of excitement. It determines what we're willing to do to get there. And it determines what we're willing to put up with along the way. About a year ago, I headed off to a conference in Colorado. And this conference was one of those like bucket list items that, you know, I've always wanted to go to, but Colorado is expensive to fly to. And it's one of those things where it's actually a lottery. You have to get your name drawn to be able to go, you know, kind of thing. And, and so finally, uh, my wife and I, we had saved up enough money and she gave me permission that she would watch the kids all by herself while I'm gone. And so I worked ahead and bought the ticket to the conference and uh, bought, bought a, a, an airline ticket. I, and I got one of those premier airline seats. It looks something kind of like this. I mean, I just love flying so much. Um, so I get, to, uh, I get to Denver, Colorado, and I get, you know, there, I get to the rental car place, and at the desk, I haggle my way to a good deal, and I step out of the rental car place, and, and there my chariot awaits me, a Mitsubishi Mirage. Now, they call it a Mirage because you're not entirely sure it's a car. 
You know, it's, and it's, it's definitely that car that you want to pull up to that men's conference in, you know, that they're going to be talking about masculinity this weekend. You know, this is your ride. So, uh, so I, I get in there and I, I drive across the state to Buena Vista, Colorado. And I, I'm, I'm realizing in my last, you know, mile or two here or whatever, that the conference center is actually up on a mountain. And so I take this turn onto this dirt road, and suddenly my dirt road goes from nice level and horizontal to near vertical. <laughs> and I've got my two-cylinder rear-wheel drive mirage that I am heading up this thing to, you know? And I finally, you know, get to the top after all those turns. I'm kissing the ground, you know? I'm just so thankful <laughs> to have made it. But you know what? I would have put up with all that and more to have gotten to go to that conference because it was the best conference I'd ever gone to. I made so many memories. It was a destination that was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. What we want, where we want to get to, determines what we're willing to do. It's our inspiration. Destination determines inspiration. And this isn't just true for road trips or survival or dating or why four-year-olds ask, are we there yet? This is just true in life in general. And this is true for anyone. Uh, so let me ask you a simple question this morning that I think probably haunts some of us at different times. It's the simple question of, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Uh, I think if you're a high school senior in here, you probably just threw up in your mouth because you're so sick of that question, right? You, you know it's an important part of the maturing process, but you just don't want to get asked anymore. And that's usually because you're not really sure what the answer is. <laughs> But wherever you might be at in life with that question, if you're having trouble answering it, I encourage you to actually consider a remark that Pastor Brian said to a group of us a couple weeks ago, that people make time for what they really want. People make time for what's actually important to them. So it might be helpful instead to ask the question, what are you making time for? What am I, what am I making time for? Because where we really want to go often stands just behind the event that we're making space for. It's kind of that old adage uh, that if you show me your schedule and your checkbook, I'll show you your priorities. It's a bit simplistic, but our use of time and money can say a lot about where we really want to go. Where we really want to get to. And of course, you know, that kind of question is then followed up by, why do you want to get there? <laughs> uh, why does it matter, you know? Uh, and of course, where are you at today? If the fog of life's distractions today were able to blow away, where would you be at? Where are you at right now? Now, I realize um, that these questions 
at least when I'm usually on the receiving end of them, uh, usually strike me as kind of like those leadership questions, right? Those, those, those visionary questions, you know, where are you going to be at in five years kind of a kind of a thing, but really they are incredibly practical questions that I would bet every last one of us at some point has thought about or or maybe answered some of them. And our answers, whether they're big or they're simple, will impact the quality of our life in ways that very few things can. Very few things can. In fact, some of us in here have been stagnant or stunted because of the way that we are choosing to answer these questions. So I'd like to show you a passage this morning that explains how, you know, someone who is a mature follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to use that phrase several times this morning, how a mature follower of Jesus Christ looks at things, how they can answer these questions. And I want you to brace yourselves this morning for what I hope is a refreshing challenge, a refreshing challenge. And if you're someone who's maybe still exploring Christianity, I want to hope that this message maybe helps you to understand what is the inspiration in a mature Christian's life? What is the driving force that moves them forward? And we find this in our passage uh, for this morning in the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of people called the Philippians. And it bears the name uh, of uh, of that group of people, the book of Philippians. And and in chapter 3, specifically, we find him sharing with them the basics of the Christian life. And so as Paul is explaining things here, he, he naturally turns to looking at his own life Uh, And and he begins to share from it, knowing that the Philippians have been listening to the wrong people with the wrong answers that would be taking them in the wrong direction, Uh, a direction called legalism, where you have to do this and this to make God happy with you. Check this box, and he will now love you. Uh, What we might call a jesus plus something, way of thinking. And so he begins with his past that was full of success in this kind of thinking. Uh, He was accomplished. He was off the charts with this kind of box checking. But it was a success headed in the wrong direction. As he shares about this and he shares about what God has been doing then in his life and working in it, changing that direction, we pick things up in verse 12. Verse 12 says, Not that I, Paul, have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. When I got done studying this passage earlier in this week, I just thought to myself and just actually exclaimed out loud, man, 
God, you know how to pack a verse. The passion, the clarity of desire that's in this passage is stunning. Paul knows exactly what he wants. He knows exactly where he's headed and he's willing to do what it takes to get there. He's determined that his destination is worth it. (laughs) And it has inspired him to move well beyond settling for the journey. But we are, what we also are left with is, is uh, somewhat mystified, uh, somewhat wondering, well, where is he headed exactly? Uh, where is he at exactly? As you hear the passage, some questions kind of begin to surface. Um, what is it that Paul hasn't obtained? from the get-go, right? What is it that Paul hasn't obtained? How is it that Jesus has made him, Paul, his own, but Paul hasn't made Jesus his own? And what does that mean? And then, well, what is it that he's pressing towards? What is it that he's straining towards? Now, what, what's all this work about Paul? You know, what is this? What is the prize, this goal, this upward call, right? What's the answer? What's the answer to these questions? Well, um, as we begin to unearth this passage and we really begin to understand, well, what has Paul been saying prior to this? And then what is he coming to bear on this passage? And it's really something that scripture in general is consistently pointing us back to time and again, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, one goal stands head and shoulders above the rest. That there's one destination that everything else consistently flows from in a Christian's life. The simple truth that being with Jesus is all that matters. That being with Jesus is all that matters. Everything else is a distant second. Everything else in life flows from there. It is the basic building block of Christian living. It's what Paul is trying to obtain. It's his goal. It's his prize. It's the upward call that in the end, being with Jesus is what matters most for a mature follower of Christ. Making him our own, pressing on, straining towards him, looking forward to that day when our faith shall be made sight. As C.S. Lewis so eloquently put it, and he always so eloquently puts it, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Being with Jesus is all that matters. As I was doing some uh, research for this message, I was thinking about, Jesus as our destination and why that matters. I, I came across something that um, Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson, had wrote a while back. And, and actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you, you've probably seen it before. It's one of those quotes uh, that we see in home decor a lot. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that it, it sounds really good, it looks really good, and we don't really think about it too much. We just kind of you know, throw it up on the wall. But when I saw it in light of these verses, I saw it quite differently. It's a quote from his essay, 
on self-reliance where he captures life in a line. And he says, it's not the destination, it's the journey. It's not the destination, it's the journey. Sound familiar? It's a great quote, isn't it? But the problem, you see, is that our life only becomes about the journey when we aren't headed anywhere. Or when we're no longer looking forward to where we're headed. When we don't care about the question, are we there yet? Because our life is what we're really after. That this life is really what it's all about. And I would bet that if I could look into your mind when I said that being with Jesus is all that matters, I would bet that at least a few, if not more than a few, would have been thinking to themselves, really? Really? Being with Jesus is all that matters? We're not so easily convinced. It's the same reason why we struggle when we hear the words of Jesus when he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We just kind of shake our heads and move on. We don't get it. How could we if it's about our life, if it's about right here and right now? We don't understand until he is our first love. Nothing else makes sense. We don't get this kind of shocking comparison that Jesus makes. That until he's all that matters, nothing else can begin to matter. That's why Paul in the verses before this, why he counts his life as trash when compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ that until he is our destination, we're stuck with a journey where no one and nowhere and nothing is worth the press, the strain, the sacrifice to get. And sadly, many of us have stagnated and settled for the journey. We've become wrapped up in this journey instead of the destination. And it happens without us thinking. Without us thinking as a mature follower of Jesus Christ is called to think. We become wrapped up in what we do and what we don't do. What we have and what we don't have. What, who, we're, who we're with and who we're not with in this life. And we have allowed these things to consume us and to ease us away from straining forward. We don't understand. Why is Paul in such a hurry to be done with this life? Because we're too busy enjoying and pursuing the good life now. And sadly, friends, we think we're fine. We think we're fine even though we can't honestly point to anywhere except for maybe in our past at how we have been sacrificing and straining to pursue Christ. 
We've become more consumed with the way we want our home to look than who our home is meant to be about. We've become more consumed with the way we want our church to be than the one whom we want our church to be about. We've allowed everything else to compete for our attention to the point where we gave up on paying attention to Jesus. Sound familiar? It's the opposite of what Paul calls maturity. Now, before we despair, <laughs> before I despair, I don't think that there's been a follower of Jesus Christ yet who hasn't struggled with this. It's hard. But nonetheless, important. Because the last thing that we should ever do is settle for this journey of this life and miss out on the destination on the destination, because otherwise, we're going to be hearing the words of Jesus begin to ring in our ears more and more of the simple thing that he said in Mark chapter 8, where he said, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Paul got this, and we can too. We can change, and we can know that being with Jesus is all that matters from our heart on out. And it's only when we come to this point that anything and everything else begins to take their appropriate place. So let's take a closer look at this passage. The, the structure of this passage here, this text, helps us to answer our questions. Uh, it's what is, is called in literary a, a chiasm, uh, where we have two halves that are mirroring each other with the main thought, not being at the beginning, but in the middle. It's something that we don't oftentimes use in Western way of writing, but it is common in the ancient Near East. And so here in verse 12, we have it being mirrored uh, with the rest of the passage. Uh, each part is mirrored here. And what Paul says then in verse 12, where he says, not that I have already obtained this, it mirrors verse 16, where he says, uh, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Then back in verse 12, Paul goes, or I'm already perfect. And here Paul uses the same uh, word in Greek, uh, teleos, uh, but uses it slightly differently to convey not perfect, but mature in verse 15, where he says, uh, let those of us who are mature, teleos, think this way. Then in the third part, uh, in verse 12, where he says, but I press on to make it my own, mirrors verse 14, where it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see the pattern? It helps us then to realize what he's driving at, which is why he brings it home when he says in verse, end of verse 12, he says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So if this is how the passage is laid out, how does it begin to help us answer our questions? How does it begin to help us understand where we're going and where we're at and what we should do? Well, number one is back to our first question. Where do you want to go? Well, 
This passage and this example, Paul is clearly trying to tell us that being with Jesus is our destination. It's all that matters. So in the same way that a cramped airline seat should make us eager for our destination means in the same way that the more our bodies fail, the more straining we give, the more persecution we endure should make us hungrier for being with Christ. Our experience here should serve to make us hungrier for our destination. That's why Paul is willing to join in suffering with Christ, because he knows it will all be worthwhile in the end. So the honest question that we need then to ask ourselves this morning, right here, right now, is are we willing to press, to strain, to sacrifice, to join in the suffering of Christ? Are we? Are we willing? And then what would that look like in our world? What would that look like in our world while we still are holding true to what Christ has already, through the scriptures, taught us about how we should be living? Well, maybe we should consider our our second question for some help here. Maybe to help convince our hearts. Why do you want to get there? If Jesus is our destination, why do we want to get there? Does being in heaven inspire us? Does it even inspire us? Maybe this is where we've gotten lost in the journey. This is why we don't get Paul and others that in one sense, they are fine with persecution and sacrificing comfort. We don't get why somebody would ever pick a missions trip over a vacation, right? Now to be clear, Paul here, he's not, uh, you know, devoid of any kind of joy or satisfaction in here and now. It's not that Jesus is trying to just make our life harder or that there's some kind of Christian obsession with discomfort or suffering. No, it's just that we, like Paul, should be so consumed with the satisfaction that our destination offers us that nothing else compares that Door County and Cancun can't even compete with what Jesus is offering. But sadly, our view of heaven has been hijacked by bright lights and bright clouds and a never-ending church service in the sky. Because if we were being honest, I mean, if I go like five minutes over here, somebody, you know, we're, we're going to be like checking our watches, going, is, is the time yet? Why in the world would we ever be inspired by that view of heaven? Why would we ever sacrifice to get there? It's not that great. <laughs> Who would be inspired by that view of heaven? Well, maybe we would only be inspired in the sense that it beats the alternative. But that's not good enough because that's not what Christ has laid out and offered for you and for me. So let me encourage you this morning to let the scriptures contend for your view of being with Jesus in heaven. 
Because as they do, they will leave you dissatisfied with here and hungrier for there. Which helps to answer then our last question. Where is here? Where are we at today? Where are we at? Uh, Paul says, uh, as he lays this out, that the place where every Christian who is alive today finds himself in is right here at the end of verse 12, where he says, Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Jesus owns us, and yet we don't yet own him. We don't yet own it. What does this mean? The word here uh, can also be translated captured. It might be more helpful. What is it that Paul is referencing here? Paul is talking about how at the cross, Jesus purchased us and now owns us by paying the price that we deserve to pay for our sin. And anyone who's, you know, then put their trust in him, right, he's brought into his family. He has us fully in his hands. He's never letting go. He has made us his own. But now we respond in pursuing him. We are responding to make him our own. But not that we are responding to make him our own in terms of the same substance, but in terms of character, it here, to be perfect is what this is talking about. What Paul is then going on to say in the very next part, that he is not yet perfect. And Paul will then go on in the next portion of this passage to explain when this will finally be complete, that this happens when we are with Jesus. So in one sense, he has us, but we don't yet fully have him. This is why we are looking forward to being reunited with him. So we are not there yet. This is where we're at, in between here and there. So if you're taking notes this morning, we've looked at how being with Jesus is all that matters. And he's answered our questions by seeing that being with Jesus is our destination, where we want to go. It gives us inspiration to be able to get there. Uh, And then we finally, we've looked at how it informs our position, where we're at today. So the next big question becomes, how? How do I take my next step? If I'm stagnated or if I'm immature, how do I start thinking like this? Or if I am a mature follower of Jesus Christ, how do I keep thinking like this? Well, in the text, we're offered two uh, direct applications from it. The first one's in verse 13. It says this. Look back at it with me. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And then in verse 16, it says, only let us hold true or be guided by what we have attained. So the call then is to humble ourselves to forget what lies behind, our past, our past. I remember one gentleman um, came to see me, this is a long, long time back, stepped into my office, and, uh, and, and as he shared with me about how he, why he wanted to, 
to see me, it became clear that his, his life was in shambles, you know, and he was running out of directions. Um, and, uh, and so he continued to share with me, and, and as I listened, I would start to, you know, kind of ask him a question here or there, or, or say, have you considered, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing? And, and each and every time I began to notice that he would take that, and then he would, like, launch off into the advice that he would give to other guys about their marriage, or about their kids, and, and in some, about how he had life figured out. I'm sitting there, after this goes on and on and on, thinking to myself, then why are you here? Why are you here? If you got this figured out, also, why isn't it working out? And frankly, why are you wasting my time? <laughs> because we both know that you don't have it figured out, but you aren't willing to humble yourself to realize it, <laughs> to learn. And I wonder if that's the way that God sometimes feels about you and me. Why won't we humble ourselves in a fresh way to learn, to embrace what he's teaching us today? See, it takes humility to forget our way, to forget our past failures and our past successes, and to instead live in a way that is consistent with Jesus, uh, grasping what he's already taught us in our, in our past, not letting go of what he, we have learned from it, but letting go of what we did. That Jesus has already taught us here to consistently live with applying it for today, knowing that the te teaching will stay the same, but the application will change. And if we can't keep letting go, we will become stagnant and legalistic even to good things of our past because we are unwilling to embrace what God has for us today. So what does this look like practically speaking? Well, it might look for you the way that it looked for me in this past week of pulling up a chair, uh, pouring a, a cup of bold, because you're gonna need it strong, black coffee, pulling out a journal, and looking at this passage, thinking about it. And this past week, as I had my journal there, and I, I was listening to uh, Call, Call Me Higher by uh, All Sons and Daughters, and I was contemplating, looking at this question, I, I, I wrote out, Lord, what would you have me let go of? And in a moment, I knew of a success that he wanted me to let go of so that I could embrace more fully what he had for me today. And, and I'm not promising that as you do that, that God's gonna speak to you, but I wouldn't be surprised if already during this message, the Lord is nudging you about something you need to consider, to surrender, to humble yourself, and to let go of some way, some hurt, some failure, something of your past that is holding you back from maturing today. If we want 
to think as a mature follower of Jesus Christ, then we have to do this. We have to know that our past success can't define our future. Our past failures cannot be allowed to dominate our day. Instead, we need to see the humility of forgetting. Biblical forgetting is not amnesia. It's a choice to stop bringing things, the same thing up again and again and again so that we can better pursue Christ. If we don't, we will miss the point and we will never step out of our comfort zone and mature in the way that God is inviting us to do. I'll conclude with this. My wife and I, uh, back when we were dating, we dated for about 15 months long distance. And uh, a good chunk of that time, I was in college, I was in Chicago, this, this country boy moved to Chicago, the city of 5 million, 10 million, wherever it is at today. And I'm trying to navigate my way around. And since my wife uh, lived up in Appleton, you know, I was kind of within like shooting range. So, you know, about once a month, I would finagle some way to get up there. And uh, several times I, I would kind of get on all the buses, make my way uh, down to the metro. And I would get on a train, and I'd go as far north as I could, and I'd get off at Kenosha, right? Um, but one time I goofed up the train schedule, and because uh, I'm not that smart, and so I, <laughs> especially with this kind of stuff. Uh, and so anyways, I get down to the train station, and I realize I can only get as far as Waukegan, and it's February. So I'm off to the frozen tundra of Waukegan. And this was before we had smartphones. And so I, I'm, I'm calling Adele, trying to tell her where I'm at. And she's, you know, between here and there, started already. And, and I'm telling you, it was as if every map in the universe just stopped working. And guys, if you've ever been stuck someplace waiting for your, your spouse or your girlfriend to pick you up, you, you know that after about 15 minutes, your stress level just kind of does this little, you know, uptick, you know, and then after half an hour, and then after an hour, and then after two hours, I mean, you can only imagine where my stress level was at at that point. But I tell you, the moment she stepped out of her car, it all melted. Because I was head over heels in love with her, and still am. She was my destination. I would have been willing to sleep at that train station if it had meant getting to see her. And friends, when you finally see Christ and your heart melts, you will know that all the suffering, all the straining, all the work, all the letting go, it will have all been worth it. Because he is our heart's desire. And we will finally have realized that being with him is all that matters. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, this is our heart's cry. We long for you, for being with you. Because you are worth it, and the rest of the options in this world are not. Father, would you encourage our hearts and lead us into a mature thinking where we realize it's all about you. 
You are our destination, and you are worth it. Would you lead us to that point? And God, if we're not there yet, if we're still trying to figure out where is our destination, would you take this passage and work it into our hearts to change us and to open our eyes to what you have for us today? And we pray those things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, according and working in us, which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.